Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today on the show, we are talking all things Joanna Hogg. Director Joanna Hogg's latest film, The Eternal Daughter, is out now, and we also talk a good bit about her previous films, The Souvenir and The Souvenir Part 2. Joining me today on the show is filmmaker Ling Tran, who also tells us about her latest film called Waiting for the Light to Change. Stick around. Before we get into the show, don't forget Art House Garage has a Patreon. Sign up today for extended episodes, bonus episodes, video episodes, and ad-free episodes. All that, plus a discount on merch in the Art House Garage shop. Go to patreon.com slash arthousegarage today or find a link in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. Welcome to Art House Garage. Joanna Hogg is a British filmmaker with several directing credits to her name, and I've been wanting to catch up with her work for a long time. The release of her latest film, The Eternal Daughter, was a great excuse for me to finally tune in, and I'm so glad that I did. Hogg is the director behind The Souvenir from 2019 and The Souvenir Part 2 from 2021. I also took this opportunity to catch up with both of those films, which had been on my watch list for a long time. If you're unfamiliar, here's a quick primer. The Souvenir films are semi-autobiographical and follow a character named Julie Hart, who is a stand-in for Joanna Hogg. In the first film, Julie is getting started as a young filmmaker, and the story follows a tumultuous romantic relationship. The Souvenir Part 2 is a bit more focused on creativity and filmmaking, and we see Julie working through the experiences of the first film and turning it into a film project. By the way, Julie is played by Honor Swinton Byrne, the real-life daughter of Tilda Swinton. Tilda Swinton also plays her mother, Rosalind, in the film. The new film, The Eternal Daughter, follows these same characters. Julie Hart, now much older, is played by Tilda Swinton. Her mother, Rosalind, is once again played by Tilda Swinton. Yes, you heard right. Tilda plays both mother and daughter in this film. Here to talk about Tilda's dual performance and all the other details about this film is today's guest, Ling Tran. I was connected with Ling recently, and I could immediately tell we would have a fruitful podcast discussion. Ling told me all about her film work and said that Joanna Hogg is one of her favorite filmmakers. I had been wanting to do an episode on The Eternal Daughter, and it all came together. Ling has a new film called Waiting for the Light to Change. It's playing festivals right now, and it's playing Slam Dance next week. If you are attending Slam Dance, the in-person screenings are on January 22nd and 24th. You can get details on those in the show notes. But even if you aren't heading to Utah next week, you can actually screen the film virtually at home. Waiting for the Light to Change will be playing on the Slam Dance channel January 23rd through 29th and I highly recommend that you check it out. Ling and I are going to talk about Waiting for the Light to Change in just a moment, so keep listening for more details, but I can tell you now that I have seen it, and I highly recommend this film. Not unlike the work of Joanna Hogg, Ling's film is quiet and subtle and understated, and I thought the pacing and the tone and the camera work were all very well done, not to mention just an incredibly well-acted film all around. It's about friendships between women and getting older, 
I laughed, I cried, <laughs> really, I cried about three times, I think, but the film really draws you in with how gentle and grounded it is. I can't say enough good things about it, and I really hope a lot of people are able to see it. If you want to check it out for yourself, look in the show notes. There are details there for how to tune in to that virtual festival January the 23rd through the 29th. Okay, let's get into the episode. First, here is the trailer for The Eternal Daughter, followed by my discussion with Ling Tran. Mom, we're here. We'd like to check in, please. My mother has a relationship with this house. She was here when she was young. Are we the only people staying here? I don't know. There was a sound. I'm sure other people have mentioned it to you. Mom? That's strange, because nobody else has mentioned anything at all. You brought her here. Memories flood back in this place. Quietly in the evening, through the building and on the grounds. Hello? And I suppose it is a way of staying in touch. The longer we're here, the more it comes back. The dread. What kind of dread? I'm trying all the time. This place prompted memories. That's what rooms do. They hold these stories. Some of them are uncomfortable. We're here now. And that was then. I'm not sure I feel I have a right to do such a thing. It feels like trespassing. Happy birthday, Mum. To us. Welcome to the podcast, Ling Tran. How are you today? Hi, uh, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Uh, our mutual friend, Connor, uh, Connor Allen Smith, uh, connected us and... Uh, Whenever Connor connects me with someone, it's it always is great. And so, and then we talked, and I was like, "Yes, absolutely, we need to be friends and talk about movie stuff." And uh, also exciting because you have a movie coming out uh, or playing some festivals, I think currently, but playing a big festival pretty soon. So, tell us about yourself and about your film, which is called "Waiting for the Light to Change." Uh, so my name is uh, Ling. I am uh, I'm based in Chicago. I am. Uh, you know, an indie filmmaker here. Uh, I direct, uh, write, and uh, edit, uh, you know, stuff, movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, my latest film is, uh, my future debut is called Waiting for the Light to Change. And we are going to be at Slamdance um, in two weeks. Yeah. So hopefully. So yes, Slamdance, I mean, what a great festival. And and. I'll, I'll get the details and put them in the show notes, but it's something that people can tune in from home on the virtual platform, right? Like buy a ticket online and watch it um, yes, from, their, from their home. Yes. And I highly encourage people to do that because you shared the film with me and I really loved it. I thought it was so wonderful. Um, 
Thank you so much. And I, I'll have some specific things to say about it. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you just about kind of your filmmaking influences. Um, are there any filmmakers? And if you want to like tell us a little bit what the film is about as well. Uh, but yeah, are there any filmmakers that you consider kind of influential to your your filmmaking style? Uh Thank you so much for the question. Um, so my film, it's about it. it I'm, I'm not going to go into the details, but sure. um, the overarching themes is uh, female friendship. Mm. Uh, and it's like it's like a slow paced meditation on female mm. friendship, uh, loss and unrequited love when um, you're in your 20s. So it's it's something that is made by people in their 20s and I guess for anyone who has ever, you know, live or will live their 20s. Mm. Um, and talking about influence, this is really tough questions because I feel like I take a little bit of like, mm. you know, from each filmmaker that I admire, but... Um, when I was making this movie, I was watching a lot of Jim Jarmusch. Mm-hmm. And uh, I also really like, you know, the the rhythm and the pacing of like films by Ho Shao Xian. And I mm-hmm. recently discovered um, Joanna Hawk. Mm-hmm. And I am, she is my role model. <laughs> that's great. Yep. Uh, that's, that's perfect because we're going to talk about uh, a lot of her films today, specifically The Eternal Daughter. But um, yeah, I really appreciated your film. And uh, the filmmaker I thought of, I don't know if this is someone you care about, is um, Hong Sang-soo. Just oh, like yes, Hong Sang-soo. Great. Cool. Hong but... and Eric Romare are also very, oh, yeah. very big influences. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just there's a lot of, I mean, because of that, that kind of slow meditative pace and like there's a lot of just long uh, scenes where you just let the camera sit and, hear people talking and I, I again i was so impressed by it that i mean there's some really long dialogue scenes that i kept thinking like this is all one take like this is so so well done um one of the things i appreciated about it is just how well the actors work together like they feel they feel like real 20 somethings and they feel like they really have known each other the ones some of them are meeting for the first time in the film but the ones who have have history um and, and just the dialogue really smartly fills us in on all those things and reveals things as we need to know it. Um, so I just wanted to see how did you prep the actors? How did you find these actors? Uh, and kind of how did how did that that aspect of it come together? Uh, so I, I really love my actors on this film, and they're they're all my friends. Um, hmm. And when we were writing this film, we didn't have a lot of time, so we were doing the writing and the casting simultaneously, and a lot of um, a lot of the drafts we would have like a table read right after and we invited like some actors come in read the entire draft like maybe like the next draft some would, of them will come back or like we have like different actors so that was like how part of that that was part of the casting process as well mm-hmm. and when we finally had like the very last you know like round of casting we started like interviewing people so we started like interview them and like get a sense of their personality or like their life experience or their philosophy and put them into like infuse the characters with those, mm. you know, like wow. qualities or like those elements. 
And um, a lot of the dialogue was actually uh, improv hmm. during rehearsal. So yeah, a lot of the a lot of those um, a lot of those lines were the actors' lines, and um, we also like did like we we all lived together throughout hmm. like this entire month of shooting. So there was like you know their their friendships being formed the the mm-hmm. living situation sort of like mirrored the the situation of the movie mm. so that also I think the eye of the camera like sees everything happen mm. in front of it or behind it you know it's it's all there wow yeah again I, I thought you must have done some amount of uh, rehearsing because they they do feel so. Um, that the chemistry feels so real. And, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's moments, the tension, there's like romantic tension at moments that I was just thought was so palpable. I mean, I cried two or three times watching this film. I really, really think very highly of it. Um, another thing, another touch point I wanted to mention was, you know, it, it opens with this shot of, uh, the waves kind of framed and, and just the, the sense that, I mean, you, you kind of, get us into the rhythm of the film and it i immediately thought of like studio ghibli or like those kind of really gentle kind of um and just inviting you into the world i i just thought that was so so well done i love all this the thoughts about you know getting older and all of those things it was so funny too i think a character at some point in the film says uh oh no we're getting so old we're 25 and I, you know i'm sitting over here 33 like wow <laughs> much older <laughs> but no it feels very authentic to to those those experiences and uh kind of wondering what's my life going to be um so yeah i i absolutely think really highly i encourage anyone to check this film out uh to find the the streaming platform for slam dance and and take the time because it it is really one of the best kind of like feature debuts i've seen in quite a while so thank Thank you for letting me watch it and and uh yeah absolutely thanks for this film thank you so much it's uh it's it's a pleasure you know hearing (laughs) all these thoughts. Um, and, um, it's, it's, uh, I feel like I'm like reaping my rewards because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, now like hearing, you know, people and how they relate to the film, it is why we make movies. So mm-hmm. great. One other thing I want to say about it that I just remembered, um, there's a character who I initially thought she was going to be sort of a secondary character as Lynn, the character of Lynn in the film. Um, and I just think that you got that character just right because initially, again, I thought, you know, she's going to be sort of comedic relief and she is at times, but then she ends up, we learn about her backstory and she's an important part of it, but um, she's a Chinese student uh, living in the United States. I spent some time living in China as a teacher, actually of college students. And so as soon as she opened her mouth and started speaking and I heard her accent and everything, I was like, I think she's Chinese. Oh my gosh. This, and it, it felt so, um, so right to that i mean from my experiences but anyway that was just an aspect of the film that i really appreciated as well oh thank you so much and and yeah. i rarely hear anyone talk about that character so that's mm-hmm. a pleasure uh yeah. i i really but, like yeah. her mm-hmm. Both the actor and the character. yeah sorry i keep interrupting you uh, <laughs> but i was just gonna say that uh there's the one scene that's that's really long that they're in the bedroom um and this is a scene where they find a gray hair and they're like, oh no, we're getting old. That scene is where I think they really, um, the main character connects with Lynn for the first time. And, and that, I was just impressed by the, I mean, how much planning must have gone into that and blocking and, and um, you know, such a long dialogue scene. But 
uh, that's when we kind of get to know her and and they had their own friendship and um, where that ends up going to. But anyway, enough about that. <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time, but I really uh, think really highly of it. But well, let's talk about Joanna Hogg. Uh, so we are going to talk mostly about the eternal daughter, but this was an opportunity for me because I had forever meant to watch the souvenir and the souvenir part two. So I finally did catch up with those. So I'd watched the eternal daughter, um, the sort of end of the year film critic, you know, watching all the screenings I can for, for, uh, you know, top 10 lists and all that. And I ended up putting the eternal daughter, you know, it was just outside. I think I had like 15 or something, uh, of my <laughs> ranking is a silly thing, but you have to do it as a critic. But, um, so, but I, I really liked it. I liked it even more the second time, but I also thought, I can't believe I've never watched anything by Joanna Hogg because this is so wonderful. I know the souvenirs uh, films are so well thought of. So I did watch both of them. Absolutely love both of them. So we're going to talk just a little bit about the souvenir before we kind of lead into this because they, they have some things in common, including characters. Um, So tell us about your just relationship with Joanna Hogg as a filmmaker. Um, How long have you known about her? films have you seen anything outside of these three I, I, this is all that i've seen uh of hers um but yeah what what are your feelings about joanna hogg um so i discovered joanna hogg when the souvenir part one was released mm-hmm. and um i saw it and for some reason the first time i think i i was like just watching it at home and i i was probably distracted or something i didn't have like a um, I didn't really have like a strong impression. I should have, uh, <laughs> but I, I was probably just distracted or something. And then the the trailer of the Souvenir Part Two came out, and then I went to see Souvenir Part One right before mm. uh, Part Two came out, and I was like, it it was earth shattering. It was like mm. I was like what it's so good what 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 was i thinking before and now i've seen it again i've seen it like four times now the souvenir and i i before souvenir part two i also saw her um saw her film saw her debut i think it's unreal it's called related her first feature film mm-hmm. um and i also really really like uh that film you know, anything that is like a vacation and there's like someone mm. who's like out of place, that is like my jam. Mm. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, mm. And um, just like talking about, uh, there's still like some films by her that I haven't seen I really want to watch. But I have a sense when I was watching her film, it's like, oh, this is such a strong point of view. And mm. um, the way it's, the way her movies play, they are not as like, they're not as apparent, you know, mm-hmm. like, like you watch it once and you think it's something and then you watch it again, it's something else. And you like, mm-hmm. it's sort of like how very much like how we see our live experience in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, um, you know, like, like, for example, I want to spoil the souvenir, but you, you watch it for the first time and you're just like trying, you're just watching this, this relationship unfolds just like how the character is watching unfold but then once you already know and you go back and you watch it you start like noticing all these crazy things that were there Mm -hmm. and you didn't catch before and that to me is just 
I love movies where it gets better the second or the third time you watch. I just saw the souvenir for the fourth time last week, and it was still blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and about Joanna Hong, I I think uh, I I said earlier that she's my role model because I just started doing like memoir film type, mm-hmm. you know. And she does it so well, and yeah. with yeah. such kindness, and like, but you know, with conviction that um, it's something that I really admire. Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say something very similar, and that's just that you know, there's a lot of you know movies about movie making. Like filmmakers love to make movies about making films. That's like every. I mean, we have like the Fablemans this year, which I think is really good. And there's I mean every year you can see that in like the award season, but I think I've never seen someone do it quite the way Joanna Hogg does it. And I mean, for one thing, sometimes that can become, um, I don't know, like navel gazing, like we're okay. We filmmakers love making films and that's all we want to ever talk about. But I think she does it in such a way that it's so creative. It's so engrossing. And it's more about like the feelings of reckoning with your own story. Uh, there's so much of that in it. And what you said about, you know, watching the souvenir multiple times and, and getting new things from it. This is my first time, but my experience with watching part two then made me appreciate part one so much more because it is such, it, they really are a pair, like watch them together because um, we have, you know, a lot of things happen to her in part one. And then in part two, she's reckoning with that story, creating something out of it, making it into a film. Um, and yeah, I, I, I was really blown away by, the whole thing after I watched part two, it it just gives you a whole new sense of part one as well. And it helped me better understand her style for the eternal daughter as well, which I, again, I'd already watched, but it helped me kind of understand that film a little bit more as well, which we'll talk about. But I mean, I just think in like the movies about movies, this is like the absolute best version of it. So, yeah. So to that point, you know, movies about movies, I I feel like her, um, her films are not, just about you know movies but they're like about filmmakers so i i feel mm-hmm. like i relate to it so much and you know about the filmmakers lives that is beyond the making movie part mm-hmm. uh and but like everything kind of like is a part like it would lead to the result of like the mm-hmm. movies you know what i mean yeah. it's like very meta and it's sort of yeah. convoluted and i just love it so much yeah absolutely the the meta stuff I'll talk about that in a minute too, but but yeah. And I was just going to ask you, you know, as a filmmaker yourself, do you identify with, you know, some of what Julie's experiences are in the film? Like she's going to film school, kind of struggling through making films for the first time. Um, Do you feel a lot of uh, connection with that when you watch those scenes? Um, In the souvenir part two, especially, Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw it, I saw it in theater. I I, I was like laughing at some scenes because they were so (laughs) relatable, especially as a film student. You know, when you go through film school, like you like kind of, um, uh, uh, you know, have this experience of like, working with your peers and you're all learning and you like all rely on each other to like make mm-hmm. your stuff. But um, there's the scene where she like changes. She She's like the camera shouldn't be here. Like I, I don't feel mm-hmm. like it should be mm-hmm. here, that like, it should move or something. And then you try to um you try to like communicate and like justify Mm. your decision but but you're still like processing it yourself and it's like really hard to like communicate it with the crew and 
you know, that kind of like dynamics on set is like huge part of learning. And uh, it's so relatable. I have definitely experienced that before. And there are like moments where you're like, um, I get what you mean, but this is the move. This is how I see it, you know, like, mm. you know, putting, you know, things you know, like having the the right priorities mm-hmm. when you like make movies and learning at the same time and in that kind of environment and also like connecting with other collaborators, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's definitely something that anyone who has been to film school or like is a filmmaker um, would have experienced before. I relate to it a lot. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I like that scene a lot. You know, they like they've set up the lighting just for that shot, and she's like, "No, we have to change it," and they're all very frustrated. But that kind of kind of playing off that a few scenes later, they have one person on the the crew who's just like really unhappy, um, and he's like, "We can't keep doing this. We don't know what we're doing." And it's at that point we've seen her talking directly to the actors about her own experience like well this is how it happened in real life um and it's so interesting because you see as she's talking to them about it like it seems like she's understanding their relationship in in a new way like i I think the actor who's playing the anthony role Mm -hmm. says it seems like maybe you just uh it's hard for me to i'm only hearing your experience of him and that's not a full person or something Mm -hmm. something along those lines and um you know she the way she's and we also hear her say things about um, when they're asking her questions. I think at one point, this moment kind of shocked me. It says, so is he like a controlling person? And she's like, oh, 100%. Because that's not something we've seen her process, you know, up to this point. But it seems yeah. like doing this, she's having those realizations and we're kind of along with her. But the scene that I love is when we have the, um, the crew member who's really raising a stink. He's threatening to quit. They're in the van and they're all kind of arguing about it. And it's... I, it, it, I won't get too personal, but it reminded me of something from my own life where like in this moment, she has in a way, her lack of processing her own grief is now causing a problem for everyone else. And it's like, she's gotten herself in this situation and she's, it's all in her performance. She doesn't say anything, but you can just feel how um, traumatic it must be for her to be in a, a room with people arguing because, a, because she has not, dealt with her trauma basically yeah. <laughs> like that that i've been in a situation like that a, a very specific moment where i was like oh this i don't again i won't go into the details i don't mean to be coy about it but just like <laughs> oh, if i had like figured out if i'd handled my shit better this would have been easy for everyone and like that was a very specific feeling that i really came back watching that scene in a way that i thought was really impressive but yeah so all that stuff i think is yes. great um, I have a handful of other just random things I love about these that I want to just kind of throw out there. But do you have anything else first that you want to say about? Uh, well, just weird? like like piggybacking of mm. um, uh, what you just said about like that feeling where like you're mm. like kind of you know you have to take it responsible. I mm-hmm. I feel like especially as a director on like a film crew, mm. you you know like just like there's like personally like i feel like oh i am i'm supposed to be the captain of this ship and Mm. kind of responsible for everything even things that i'm not like directly responsible for 
I'm absolutely responsible for it. Like mm-hmm. if we if we fail, like it's it's my fault. Mm-hmm. I've always like felt that, and and that's why making movies is so exhausting sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. So I uh, I usually don't listen to reviews of the films I'm planning to review. I didn't know I was going to do Eternal Daughter, so I listened to Film Spotting. So this is something they said, and I just want to give them credit. But they're talking about Joanna Hogg and the Eternal Daughter, and one of the things that makes it like her style of memoir filmmaking so um, unique is that she really kind of tells on herself. Like she, her character in the film that, you know, is her stand in is not, you know, always virtuous. Like we're seeing in the eternal daughter, she's recording her mother secretly. And like, maybe she shouldn't be doing that. Or like we're seeing like the ways that she failed in her early career in the souvenir in ways that I like, feel the, the emotional resonance is so strong. Like this must be pretty directly from her own life. Uh, at least this is how I read it. But yeah, just the, the she's, she's showing kind of warts and all uh, and not just showing herself as, you know, like a hero in, in these situations, but really reckoning with her role and everything. But yeah, I yeah. love all of that. Um, love that. Yeah. I think, I think honesty, like once mm-hmm. you already like are doing like a memoir type, it's like would be so great and like you know if you're honest i feel like like that would that that would move people more than Mm -hmm. like anything you know and um i forgot to mention that i saw after the the souvenir and souvenir part two because i had i i also got the a24 yeah yeah, i bought that as well Um, i also saw caprice oh yeah i didn't Um, watch it yet yeah the the very first um film starring Tilda Swinton and oh, it was really? her thesis film uh, um in wow. film school and you could see a lot of um she's self-referencing hmm. a, a lot in like the souvenir part two I think wow I, I almost really made time fun. for that but I didn't watch it sorry go ahead yeah it was it was really fun to watch and like see you know like the um you know the stairs for example or like you know the fashion like the vibe mm-hmm. you you can see it all yeah it's, it makes so much sense um mm-hmm. and and i think i think i really like how she reflects like on herself and her work and um like be really honest about it and 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 honest to the perspective of her own i think mm-hmm. um uh and Love Tilda Swinton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say that too. Absolutely, all the performances are so good. And uh, I, I mean, Honor Swinton Byrne as the lead. Julie is so fantastic. Like she really holds the camera so well. Um, the man who plays Anthony, who I'm blanking on his name right now, but I think his performance is phenomenal too. Especially when you realize all the secrets he's holding in the first section of the film. Um, it's really, really amazing. But yeah, Tilda Swinton. I mean, I, she's obviously an incredible actor and everything, but I think the moment towards the end of the first one, it's one of my favorite Tilda Swinton moments ever. And that is, uh, again, I won't exactly spoil what's happening, but she's coming down the stairs to deliver some bad news. And just, we know what she's going to say, but like the way she, her body language, her facial, it's, it's just so perfect. Like it took my breath away. Like that acting moment from Tilda is amazing that's right there at the end of the first one but yeah all the performances so fantastic and what you're talking about the the look of it like the cinematography i think is so great too along with the production design and everything but like there's almost a fuzzy soft look to a lot of the film um 
that feels like you know maybe memory i think it's sort of it feels like yes. we're looking back at things and that's a big a big thing uh in all our films but anyway were you about to say something else oh no no, no. Okay. yeah well i well, i think I, I oh i'm sorry i think memory is uh a huge theme mm -hmm. that joanna Hall always like in in these films specifically in the souvenir souvenir part two and the eternal daughter that's like one of the mm -hmm. main themes and it's so fascinating how like she like unpacks that yeah absolutely yeah so we're going to definitely talk about memory some more i think with the eternal daughter okay a couple just rapid fire things else that i appreciate about the souvenir films i think there's a couple of references I, I could be wrong but like the first one opens with these kind of black and white photos and like almost a radio broadcast sounding voiceover from julie and it just reminded me so much of the film la jate i think it must be sort of a reference to that because it's like these still images and the voice which i just watched the last year or so and talked about in the podcast actually when we were doing a french new wave uh series but i was like oh that must be directly from that and then i mean the whole structure of souvenir part two but really that last final segment i think is straight from the red shoes i mean she's even wearing red shoes at the beginning of it where we have this sort of Ooh. metaphysical uh performance and, and and it's such a surprising thing when like the curtain like with the curtains open and we're like oh we're gonna see the film she's made but no we get something entirely different and it's such a an open and sort of meditation on everything we've seen so far and this this kind of beautiful strange salad of of cinematic uh images and and i think just like the red shoes um, which I think it must be an intentional reference because she's even wearing red shoes at the beginning of that sequence. Um, but it, it, in the red shoes, we have this ballet sequence that, you know, through the power of cinema takes on such a, a bigger, um, uh, you know, sort of form. And that's kind of what we have there as well in the end of that. So really like that about it. Um, and both of the films kind of end with a meta sort of element mm -hmm. that I won't fully spoil, but, um, I think just getting back to the meta stuff, th those things helped me understand the ending of Eternal Daughter better. But just in generally, sometimes when you have those kind of meta touches, it, it seems like the filmmaker is just trying to like be clever. It's like for the sake of some sort of cleverness. But I think those things are only here to support the themes of memory and creativity and, and really the feelings of it all more than anything else so I, I just respect that that use of sort of you know movies about movies that whole thing we've already talked about um, yes yes yeah i haven't seen the red shoes but i definitely see the other the lajete um mm. uh like wink wink reference that yeah, that yeah. you mentioned and um now i just realized that like all her films like ended with some sort of exit yeah oh yeah so so like the end of the first one we have that sort of looking at the camera and then she's exiting the the studio like we have yes movie. yeah mm -hmm. and, and then, then yeah we shouldn't spoil the second part yeah, of the second part a great, because the, yeah. that one was so epic it's it's yeah. so good yeah, and absolutely yeah it's but that exit I, and then eternal daughter also ends with an exit as well yeah exactly that's um that's really interesting uh mm -hmm. And also speaks to some kind of like, it's sort of like feels like survival, mm. you know, mm. it's like kind of like a character exiting and like, just like, 
okay, we move on. That's like very yes. lifelike. Exactly. I, that's what I'm, we're going to talk about the end of eternal daughter. And that's exactly the, the theme I was going to say is like, it's like, finally we can move on kind of a feeling. So we'll, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get into details of that. Uh, maybe we should get into that. One other thing about the souvenir films is that Richard Ioadi, who plays the sort of like sort of cocky director character who I know mostly as a comedic actor. I know he, he directs and things as well. I loved every single scene he was in, even though he's like a really rude, rude person in the films, but I thought he was so much fun and uh, just was electric every time I was, he was on screen for me. I'm a huge fan of the it crown that he stars in. It's like a British sitcom, very uh-huh. silly, like very, very different. So it's just wild to see him in this role and, and like doing so well with this dramatic. I mean, he's funny, but it's like an overall dramatic role. But anyway, I I love him and he has great things to say. He has like, you know, things that I feel like, I I think, I think this line was in the trailer, so I'm not spoiling it, but um, he says something about avoid or like resist Mm -hmm. the temptation to be obvious. I'm like, I was about to say, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I wrote that down as like the quote from him. Yeah. I think it's the final scene where we see him, but. She did you resist the temptation to be obvious? Like that's if you did that, then you've made an honest film or something like that. And yeah, so yeah. so good, so good. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the Eternal Daughter. Let's talk about this one. Um, so the Eternal Daughter just came out last year. Uh, you can rent it now on VOD, so it's it's out there. Um, very interesting film. It has some things in common with the souvenir films, uh, and in fact, it follows the same characters, Julie now grown up played by Tilda Swinton and Julie's mother also played by Tilda Swinton, you know, and it's sort of aged up makeup, but it's very clearly the same characters. Uh, and like she has the same, one of the same dogs, I think, and that sort of thing. Um, but it's a otherwise very different, like a big shift in tone and style. You know, I kind of went into it thinking, Oh, this is the souvenir part three, but like very much not like it's such a different, uh, film, even though it's, I guess it's sort of in the same world. Um, Bia, what did you think of the just the style of this film, The Eternal Daughter? Um, I think it's, I love it. It's 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 very uh, atmospheric. Mm-hmm. It's more atmospheric than the yeah. souvenir uh, films. Um, it definitely was like so like every like formalistic like elements very genre. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. very much like a like a gothic like horror film mm-hmm. play out extremely elegantly though um yeah. and i don't know it's it's i guess it is a ghost story it's like a, it's it's called a ghost story but i don't know if i would c- categorize it as like a, a horror film you know mm, yeah. it's like a drama ghost story very um emotional and uh i think it's slightly because of that like slightly different from from the souvenirs um and the souvenir part two but very joanna hogg still yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely very much yeah you can almost yeah it has all those genre conventions of like feeling like we're in a ghost story like it it Inter, I mean, the creepy music, uh, which I found on Spotify, I've been listening to. It's really great. And it's just like the foggy countryside and they're going to this abandoned, seemingly abandoned, uh, haunted mansion kind of thing. There's um, things going bump in the night. Like it has all those different touches that 
yeah, really set you up for what kind of to expect. But yeah, it's it's the Joanna Hogg version of a ghost story, I guess. And it's interesting too, as again, filmmaking about filmmaking. So if the souvenir is like, it's a film about her life, but it's also a film about making a film about her life. And this one is like a film about making a film about your mother. And it's a, it's a, she's talking about uh, kind of dealing with her relationship with her mother. And so much of it is around that mother daughter relationship. And it's just, you can see how, you know, as she might've been reckoning with, you know, what is this film going to be like, Oh, this is actually pretty horrific. <laughs> like the, the way this all feels sometimes. And so maybe make it into this Gothic horror movie. Uh, so I think that's, that's a really interesting touch and, and really I think sets this film apart and, uh, it kind of probably makes it more memorable, all the more memorable for those having those genre conventions. Yeah. Almost felt a little slice of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I, I kept wondering, like, is this the actual location where some of these experiences must have happened? Like, I, I don't know. I could, I'm sure I could research that, but yeah, it feels so true to life and so honest that it, it almost feels like, yeah, they're just filming her actual trip, which is so interesting because there's one aspect of the film that you you might on paper think would take you out of that kind of feeling of realism. And that is this dual role by Tilda Swinton. She's playing both characters. But my experience was exactly the opposite that, that it, it didn't take me out of it at all. And I, I'm so impressed by what Tilda Swinton does in this too, because they feel completely separate and you never kind of get lost in that. And you never, like I, you forget it's too, you forget it's the same person, honestly, pretty quick. At least I did. But yeah, I was going to say, what did you think about her performances here? I had the exact same uh, experience because mm-hmm. uh, I I was watching and and by the the end of the movie, I like already forgot that those two <laughs> characters were both played by the same actor. Yeah. That was pretty. That's pretty amazing. And um, uh, it's, so when I rewatched it. Uh, before we um, we chat today, uh, I was watching and instead I I kept that in mind a little bit more that um, mm. you know it's Tilda Swinton playing both roles, but I I was more like caught up like comparing not them together but like them with the Julia and Rosaline mm. characters in the souvenirs, Mm-mm. and they're very consistent. I feel like mm. I'm like this would be uh, how these characters like would be like years later. Mm-hmm. But in the same movie, they are totally separate characters and they are so different. And, and I don't know, there's something very interesting going on um, with the, with the covering of the two characters too. Mm-hmm. You like yeah. don't, you never really see them in the same frame until like almost like the end it's always like yeah you know this one character looking at the other one and then shot reverse shot they're always mm-hmm. in their like singles and um and and because of that there's no like trick eye there's there's not i don't think there's no. like vfx involved there yet until like very mm-hmm. moment where it's very close to the end where like you see them in a wide shot together yeah. and you're like okay something is is about to go down yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah it yeah. really sets up all those single shots really set up that ending perfectly i think but yeah you never see them occupying the same space um until 
which again, also just thematically, not seeing them occupy the same space is thematically important uh, without spoiling yeah. anything about the ending. But um, be at, and I, I just, I'm, I'm curious about like, just technically how they did that. Like they must have had someone, you know, line reading the opposite role or something because it did, again, their conversations even feel so natural. Were you going to say something there? I um, actually listened to Joanna Hawk okay, in great. conversation with Martin Scorsese. Oh, wow. And um, they were talking about making, uh, having Tilda Swinton as both roles. And I think, if I remember correctly, it's Joanna Hawk doing the opposite, just improving mm. with her. And she was talking about, you know, how the role of the director and like the actor like start getting, you know, the line mm. is is, mm. is getting blurry. And, and I mean, it's, it's definitely, I can't imagine doing something like that, but it's very, it's really brilliant. It's brilliant. Yeah. And uh, you can see the result. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's so interesting. I'll try to find that and link it in the show notes for people to listen to. Yeah. I would love to, cause I know Scorsese is a producer of the souvenir films as well. I think he's on, there's like a documentary on that a 24 Blu-ray set that I haven't, I didn't have time to watch yet, but I think he's heavily involved in that too. Uh, so he's a believer in Joanna hog that says anything to anyone. Um, but yeah, this that, that's so interesting to hear like as like she has to be acting off of someone because it feels so natural um yeah it really that that aspect of it i think is so amazing well she's also dealing with some kind of some slightly different themes maybe than the souvenir films a lot of the same things i think too but yeah i'm just curious like thematically did anything stand out to you in the eternal daughter um yes so memory is one of mm -hmm. the when memory and your relationship with like memories and your mm -hmm. relationship with, you know, um, like, I guess, I guess your mother, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am very, um, I'm very attached to my mom as well. Even though we are super far away, it's not like I can like be there, but I would like call my mom every day mm -hmm. and we would chat. And like, if I don't call her a few days, she would like ask me where I've been for the last few days. So like, it's, I like understand that a lot, but, um, the talking about memories, it's, uh, Joanna Hogg really has a very interesting like point of view or interesting take on that or like how she like makes that play out like on the screen mm. and there's a lot to appreciate um I remember this one line uh, this one scene where where um Julie's character was talking with the groundkeeper mm -hmm. uh, Bill I think his name is yeah yeah and uh he uh, he talks about his wife and how now he plays the flute mm, for her. Mm. She she died a year ago, but now he plays the flute for her. And there's a line you say uh, something is an, something a new chapter in our relationship mm, or something. Mm, yeah. And I was like, wow, whoa, mm. that's you know, it's it's going back to like the point of view thing. Um, I feel like every single relationship that you have with people. Um, or with memory, it's from your own point of view. And mm -hmm. like this, even this moments, like this entire movie is her relationship with her mother still, mm -hmm. like after, yeah, mm -hmm. you know, she died. And um, 
I yeah I don't, I don't know it's it's just very brilliant and I feel like the writing was so strong like it all ties everything together um so, so what do you think yeah I was going to mention the memory stuff for sure as well and I love that they have these dinner scenes that are so great where that's where we really see them connecting and, and talking and um her mother's talking about her memories so like for anyone who hasn't seen it they're in this hotel that's this, this mansion that used to be uh, a place that her mother spent a lot of time like during the war when the children were evacuated from the cities she spent a lot of time in this house and so over the film she you know it's like oh i have a memory of this room and like now it's a restaurant but it used to be you know a place where we would play and um you know initially we're hearing kind of just those happy things and then we get a moment where she we learn that in this room is where she got the news that her brother had died many years ago and she starts becoming very emotional about it and then julie character it just starts like weeping and it's it's like i initially thought oh, like what a reaction she's having but like she's in kind of with the theme of memory like she knows the importance of these memories and how it, i think it just points to how deeply empathetic julie as a character is and how joanna mm-hmm. hogg is as a person like yeah. realizing these memories are so important um yeah go ahead it's um it's interesting that you mentioned that um because I was thinking about that yesterday as well and then I was recalling in the souvenir part two, um, she, Julie asked her mom what what does she feel when Anthony died mm, mm-hmm. and what um Tilda Swinton's character Rosaline the the mother said to her is like mm-hmm. I fell through you. Mm-hmm. And and this is exactly what's happening at this like dinner table and and you know it 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 also speaks to the character to the fact that she is a filmmaker and she's you know making a movie about her mother it's it's so meta yeah so meta <laughs> and like it's a lot of recalling I think mm-hmm. so Not over the course of the film she shares like oh, I'm trying to make a film about my mother. I'm having writer's block. And so it's like, a, she probably had this experience and it's like, okay, that's the movie. It's me having writer's block about making the movie. That's what the movie should be about. <laughs> Which is yeah, all the meta stuff is so complicated and interesting. Um, but yeah, that I forgot about, like that's such a perfect connection where she's like, oh, I, I, I felt disappointed because of you. She's like, no, no, no. What did you feel, mom? She's like, I felt through you. And we get almost a reverse in sort of towards the end of this where uh, Julie says, oh, I'm so starving. I could eat, you know, I'm so hungry. And then the mom says, oh, I'm not going to have, Rosaline says, I'm not going to, I'm not hungry. I'm not going to have anything. And then again, quite a conflict, like a surprising amount of conflict builds out of that, which feels so like personal to like a mother-daughter relationship. You know, yeah. the certain things can like trigger me to be upset about it kind of thing. Um, but it's almost a reverse where she's like, well, if you're not hungry, I'm not hungry either. And like, so the, in this case, the daughter is like feeling through her and like taking on, um, her mother's feeling about the situation and, and again, so much frustration about how do I make you happy and uh, fussing over her mother, which is, I think what Rosalind always says, she, Oh, you're such a fuss pot. You're always fussing about fussing over me when you don't need to. Um, I guess kind of continuing on the theme of motherhood too. I, I love when, for one thing, again, this is kind of where like we see Joanna Hogg telling on herself a little bit. Like she questions when she's talking to Bill, she questions, do I have the right to, to tell this story and like that's part of her writer's mm-hmm. block is like is this this isn't my story do i have the right and so then you see like she's questioning can i tell this story it's not my story 
the story that we ultimately get is the story of her trying to tell the story, you know? So like you see, that's how she kind of processed through that, which is so interesting, mm-hmm. but you know, she's stealing recordings and all of that. But I love the scene too, where she, she's listening in to her, to Rosaline talking to Bill. Um, and he realized that she's saying, you know, he, he asked something about grandchildren who must have like, are you sad you don't have grandkids or something like that? Um, but he, uh, Rosaline says for one thing, like her, her films are sort of like her children now. Like that's, you know, we would have loved grandchildren or whatever, but um, she has her, her filmmaking, which you can see how that might hurt to hear, you know, from, from Julie um, and how that might hurt to put down on paper and a script, you know, all, all of the layers of that. But then also I love what her mother says. Um, she's like, well, I was going to say she would have been a good mother, but no, she is a great mother and talks about her maternal instincts mm-hmm. and how she is now the recipient. Like my daughter's taking care of me and I'm getting sort of that maternal love from her. And then she, the, the line that I loved is she has a great capacity for the practical magic of love. I thought it was a, a beautiful way to put that and, and kind of capture maybe a maternal instinct and a maternal love that, um, you don't only have to give toward your children as a mother, you know, that, that sort of love can be put in other places too. So yeah, I thought that was great. Absolutely. I I definitely have looked at some of my friends and Mm. go, you would make such a great mom, (laughs) you know, like, but like not like in the the most genuine way, you know, Mm -hmm. like I think, I think that's what it is about the, you know, the, the instinct of, mm-hmm. of, you know, what you do to take care of another uh, life or another human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's beautiful. Um, one of the thing about sort of memory and it's like the way that memories are tied to places. And there's a mm-hmm. lot about like physical spaces. And what's so interesting, we're hearing so much of Rosaline's experiences here, the happy and the sad, and she's looking around the room and things are flooding back to her. But then when we meet Bill, kind of, I guess, midway through the film, who's the groundkeeper, he talks about his own memories. And we realize he has this whole internal life that's separate from anything Rosalind remembers about this place because he's worked there for 30 years. His wife worked with him and she just died. And there's also the power of memory and like how, I don't know, maybe it's easy sometimes to dismiss, um, I mean, the arts in general. You see like how arts programs are never funded, you know, are always the first thing to be defunded and all of that. But just like, I think the souvenir films are a good uh, argument in favor of like why art matters and why it's important to, to connect to other people through art. And I think there's a line in one of the souvenir films too about, like, I see the importance of entertaining as a way to get a message across. So like, that mm-hmm. was a good line. Um, but anyway, I've kind of gotten off track, but talking about with, uh, with Bill and his, so like memories are not just, you know, some unimportant part of the human experience. Like they're so important and they can even affect the, the things that we do in our lives. Like he has made the decision not to retire. Like he, it would have made sense. He's in, in retirement age. His wife has passed away. He should retire. Right. But no, he, has so many strong memories of his wife in this place that he wants to spend the rest of his life reliving those. And I think that's such a beautiful um, touch. And then he talks about learning the flute after she died and like he sort of dedicates the flute playing to her. And as you said, it's like a new chapter in our relationship. He says, "Um, I love that so much. And, and yet just there's a lot made of the memories being tied to these physical spaces, which reminded me of another film I really love, which is also a ghost story 
the film A Ghost Story <laughs> by yes. um, uh, I'm forgetting his the director's uh, David name. Lowry. Yes, David Lowry. Yes, yeah. which is so much about memories and and things tied to places. But yes. anyway, uh, another film I love. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's all I have to say about the memory stuff. I could probably go on, but <laughs> I think uh, I think yeah. it's a it's a human instinct to mm. like grab onto you know what you still have of something that you've lost. Mm. Um, so, and 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 that's the what the entire film, um, the Eternal Daughter is like mm. her. Just like I feel like. Yeah, I, I still don't know how to um, fully interpret this film, and I don't think you were meant to do it like that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But I feel like very much it's this very heavily point of view, and you know, some of it is like probably wishful thinking, some of it is remembering and honoring, and and I think that's the that's a that's a great thing about memory, but memory is also very unreliable like how mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. that we see it in the souvenir and souvenir part two um yeah. i forgot to like ask you what you thought of the going back to the souvenir though like sure, what yeah. you thought of the the film that we saw within the film like what do you think that was yeah yeah i i i think that's my favorite sequence in the whole thing because it is a little bit unexplainable um and, and that's this whole section that reminds me of the red shoes. And, um, but I think it's, if it is a callback to the red shoes, but I think it must be the red shoes is, is like, here's this ballet sequence, but it's, it's like, these are things that could never happen on stage at an actual ballet performance. It's, these are the, the rules of cinema come into play. And it's like, we can make something bigger. Um, and it's about kind of getting lost in the art in a way you know it's like when, when you're watching a stage play that's really good and you forget it's a stage play you can feel like you're in a real story it kind of captures that by using cinematic language and doing all these and not only that but it, it, it's like suddenly we're on a set we're not just watching a stage but we're all, there's also like metaphysical things happening people are disappearing and that sort of thing and so then in the souvenir part two we get again we think we're going to see her her student film but then we see her on screen like oh this is something different and then it goes to all those different places we're hearing the the sound of different memories playing back um and i think it's in a way it's it's just sort of like yeah again it's like this i want to say like word salad this just like strange amalgamation of all the feelings and the memories that she has and maybe that's the best way to try to capture like when I think back about my life, it's just a, a scramble of random pieces that there's some kind of formal meaning to. It feels like a dream almost, you know, there's yeah. some things you can grasp onto and there's some like symbolic things like, you know, there's a, a dead body laying before her with a sheet over it. And uh, that's clearly represents something in her life and all those other things that it's sort of replaying her experience. And it also like, it reframes things. Like we see Anthony in that scene um, and he's dancing with this woman that he, that jo- or Julie, I think suspects that he's had a relationship with. Um, and this, they're sort of like doing the sensual dance and, and she interrupts that. And, and, and so it's, it's this fascinating way to like reframe her own experiences. And as she's still trying to grapple with what did that relationship mean in my life and what, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just kind of a little bit rambling, but I, I, I love that whole sequence that it, it takes on such a metaphysical and, and um, really breaks, breaks the fourth wall and breaks all kinds of things to 
to try to capture what it feels like to remember things. I think yeah. that, that's my take on it, but I don't know if that's uh, makes any sense. But, but no, I, I think it. I think that's 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 very well put, actually. Um, for me, like you know, the camera, like the that's mm. so symbolic that she shoots him dead that's with right. the camera. That's right. It's yeah. like by making a film about him, her, the person, the the him that she knew mm. him as, kind of died to. Mm to be replaced by someone who, you know, like now that she thinks about it and reflect, he, mm -hmm. he doesn't, he did not seem like someone that she thought he was kind mm -hmm. of. So yeah. it's, it's like kind of have that too. It's yeah. like the idea of him versus the reality of him. I think it's how that other character puts it in a different scene. But yeah, go on. Yeah. But yeah, no, that's, that's all I have uh, to say about that. It's, it's great. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, Joanna Hawk was really good with memories. <laughs> I'm, I'm just like, just, yeah. I'm, yeah, I have no word, speechless. <laughs> like, I'm a fan, like, really a big fan. I was going to ask you next. I think we've kind of covered it mostly, but just how do you feel like the Eternal Daughter fits in with her filmography? I, it's kind of the thing we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. um, the only thing I would add is that we'll talk about the ending in just a minute. I want to ask you something else first, but the ending of this film. The first time I watched it, I was so confounded by it and, and I was trying to like figure out the logic of it. But after watching the souvenir films, I realized like, that's, that's not the point. Like, as you were saying, like, that's not the question to ask. The logic doesn't matter as much as the feeling of it. And, um, and yeah, I do have some interpretive thoughts about like the very ending, which we'll talk about in a minute, but yeah, I just love that. Uh, understanding her style a bit more. I, I was like, oh, this makes me see the eternal daughter in a, in a whole new light. And um, so they really do work, even though it's not really a trilogy, they, they do work together really well, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, um, so in this interview that I listened to, she was like, she said that she didn't feel like she was done with these characters mm -hmm. and she wanted to bring them back. So I like, I really love that, um, you know, universe, Julie Hart yeah. universe. Um, <laughs> And, and it's, it's always like fun when you see something and you get a, like a recall to like a, mm -hmm. a thing that was before, you know, and, um, and that's like story and like characters wise, but you know, this, this is still that like strong and very tender and kind perspective that mm -hmm. she's like giving almost like to herself mm -hmm. kind of, um, as a, as a creator, um, yeah that you still see in this one, uh, even though like, like stylistically there are like some elements that are um, like vastly different from like the films before. Um, but I think, you know, if, if we're like going by like a tour theory, it's like mm -hmm. the, the thread is there and, mm -hmm. and it, I mean, it's, it definitely bears the signature of her. Yeah. Um, I say she has very interesting way of, um filming locations as well mm -hmm. like very uh i like i never really quite like see something feels it's it's like it is such it probably is a big place but it feels really small mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know i i see a lot of the the time you see the the opposite where like it's like kind of a small space but it feels bigger than that mm -hmm. this is this has an opposite effect um and it's 
you know, it fits with the theme and like the yeah. the genre of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, really love how um, this character is like kind of like sometimes blends into with the wallpaper and mm. or like surrounding that she's in. And, you know, it's um, it's quite brilliant. I, I really like that a lot. Did you have any um, thing that you noticed with the with the set and stuff? I heard it's a yeah. real haunted hotel. Oh, really? Okay, that's interesting. So the first thing we see is the the cabbie, like the taxi driver, talking about an experience he had there, and well, he doesn't go there on 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 dark winter nights anymore because he a friend of his saw a ghost or something. Cutting in quickly here for a spoiler warning. We weren't sure when we started recording whether we were going to fully spoil the ending of the movie or not, but we do, and we just kind of ease into that in a minute here. So if you haven't seen The Eternal Daughter and you don't want to be spoiled, tune out now, and don't forget to check the show notes for details on how to screen Ling's film at Slamdance. Okay, back to the show. First of all, like the fact that they seem to be completely alone there. It's this big hotel and the front desk worker has said, oh, there's no room initially. Like we don't have a room, even though there appears to be nobody else in the whole place. That that feeling of isolation with with the the ghostliness of it, you know, she and she thinks she sees a face in a window at some point, that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, I love the, the location. Go ahead. Actually... That face in the window, I saw it for the first time. And I was like, this is a face in the window? And then the second time, I realized it's her mom. I think it must be. Yeah, yeah. that's my feeling too. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, the first time I saw the movie, I completely missed this. I did not see the shadow, even though I was in the theater. I don't know why, but I completely missed it. Um, oh, which made the second viewing a lot better. Yeah. There's as I watched it the second time, I had noticed it, but like so, I think there's like three scenes where she's like kind of peering in, and at least the first two times you still don't see anything, I think. But then the third time yeah. you do see that face, and I was like, oh, it must be Tilda Swinton's face too, because so much of this is, I mean, the film itself is sort of reckoning with the ghost of her mother in a way. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that must be the situation. Um, but yeah, oh. I, I think the location's great. Go ahead, yeah. One more thing that I wanted to say about Tudor Swinton playing both roles, because mm-hmm. their mother and daughter, they're supposed to look like kind yeah, of the yeah. same. And and it says something about mortality. Like mm-hmm. one day you will grow into your mother. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like she is like her mother and her like are pretty much the same person. <laughs> yeah, they're so similar. Yeah. Yeah. The same like like both thematically and literally hmm. uh, in the movie because spoiler <laughs> but i i feel like that is such a that that's like a cloud hanging over your head kind of you know about your mortality and like hmm. you know time passing and and well i guess everything that we talk about it's about time isn't it yeah yeah i think so but yeah that's that's absolutely right it's also reckoning with your own mortality you're exactly right i do want to talk more get more spoilery in a second and talk about the whole ending before we do that i did want to ask you you know as a filmmaker are there specific elements of her style that you feel like you want to emulate you mentioned you know 
you love her so much as a as an influence is there anything specific about that or or tying that to your own work um hmm i haven't really like thought that much about it and and usually i just like i i i thrive on the vibe more than Mm -hmm. like specific like stylistic like elements Mm -hmm. and I think it is, I don't know exactly what Joanna Hogg's philosophy is, but whatever it is, I think it's, it's something that I'm like trying to, you know, understand and maybe like get closer. I think one, I'm also very obsessed with my, you know, memories and I'm Mm -hmm. also trying to make a movie about a filmmaker trying to make a movie. (laughs) So, um, uh, so I guess the level of self-examination and self-reflection mm. that, you know, she, she like practices in like making her films, that's something that I really admire and something mm. that I would love to have um, uh, for myself. Obviously I'm a lot, I'm like still pretty young and I probably am not seeing everything for what they are yet, but I guess there's also a, a value to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, her pacing also, her pacing mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. one of the things that, um, that I really like. And, um, you know, with the souvenirs, uh, so I, myself, I keep a journal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes watching her movies feels like you get dropped to a page of, on her mm-hmm. journal. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't really function like, like cause effects, you know, like yeah, this mm-hmm. scene leads to the next scene. This scene is happening because the last scene, there was like this thing, you know, it doesn't happen like that. You just, bam, you drop, get dropped in a party. Mm-hmm. Bam, you drop in a van or something, you know? So you, of course, like those sequences, they are linked together, like the scenes in one sequence, but um, sometimes you just get dropped in there and you just like start, it's like you start hearing all of these characters thoughts and like emotions and and it's kind of it's very candid i think Mm -hmm. yeah you also get pulled out suddenly sometimes there are so many times in the souvenir as you're saying that like oh that's exactly the way to put it it's like a journal entry because it's you know i I think this scene's going to play out some more but no we're just pulled out and we move on to the next thing uh and that's how memory works too yeah absolutely you just have those those snippets that that fill in well yeah i think as far as the pacing like having seen your film waiting for the light to change i think i really appreciate the pace of that as well and i want to ask this i don't maybe this is an inappropriate question i don't know is anything about your film autobiographical or is there any elements of kind of memoir or or the- thematic things from your life that you brought into it um yes yes actually it's uh it's semi it's semi autobiographical mm. in the way that like every character has like you know the thoughts or like the Mm. kind of relationship that i've experienced or uh like you know um or situations that i've been in or like Mm. these the the girls in my films they are part of each of them are like part of me like Mm, like the 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 part that you see of them in the movie no, I took some of myself and like put in it um, in terms of like philosophy or um, how I would react to something or, or how I would, I used to react to something, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a little bit of that. One interesting thing is 
with my rewatch and after listening to Joanna Hogg talk about um, uh, her influences, I realized that the they the um, uh, the short story that she was reading hmm. in the movie was uh, one of her biggest influence for the film. Mm, okay. And uh, my character in my film also reads a book that was uh, an influence. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Uh, that's so interesting to hear. Yeah, the... I don't want to, again, get, talk about your film too much, but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's... I, I'm realizing that you, in a way, have a similar structure of you know, dropping us in onto these scenes, even though it, you know, it's pretty contained time-wise, there are still like the moments that scenes start and end are a little bit surprising. I think sometimes in your film in a way that I really like. Um, like, I think again, there's like kind of longer scenes of, of dialogue. Like uh, I think one of my favorite scenes in the movie too, is the, the pancake scene in the kitchen between oh. those two characters. First of all, like just the tension between them is so great. And, and she kind of makes a step towards him in a way, but anyway, um, but I think that ended suddenly and I was like, Oh, I wanted more, but that's, I think that's the way to do it. You know, it's leave us wanting more of, of that, but I love the dynamic between those. So anyway, um, but yeah, I guess we can get back to the eternal daughter unless you have anything else to say, um, about the connection between your work and, and Joanna Hogg's. Um, I know. Let's go back to eternal daughter. <laughs> okay, okay. Well then let's talk about the ending. So we are going to kind of get into, explicit spoilers i guess for the ending maybe maybe actually did we say we wanted to kind of keep it vague we can keep it vague i think what yes, are you yeah yeah okay, yes so i'll cut the spoiler warning cut the spoiler okay so, so I'll, I'll, I, go ahead, i actually um i actually was gonna say something because i saw the trailer of eternal daughter and and um, I thought the trailer. Oh, kind how do spoils. I how do I spell? How, yeah, how, <laughs> yes. I I thought I thought so. It's like I saw the trailer. I'm like, oh, it's kind of spoiled the movie already. So like, I came in watching the mm-hmm. movie with this knowledge. I'm like, come on, this, you know. Yeah. But then mm-hmm. I started watching the movie. And I'm like, oh, what is this? You know mm-hmm. the because. Because you see things how the character sees it. Yeah. So you forget mm-hmm. all these, you know, like background info that you gather before going into the screening. It's pretty yeah. awesome. But And yeah. then at the end, you're like, I, I see it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, I think we can talk about the ending without spoiling it explicitly. Because there is like one surprising moment that we can maybe not spoil. Yeah. Um, but all that to say that I, I kind of like what I was saying earlier. Like I, I think initially I having watched it twice now, the first time I thought, how, what is the logic of this? I, I don't exactly understand what's going on in the way that she breaks the rules in the souvenir. She kind of breaks the rules here in a little mm-hmm. bit of, of, you know, continuity and that sort of thing, um, which again, deals with memory and all of that. But just like the, even after the surprising moment, just the kind of the coda to the film, I really love, um, a lot of things shift from what we've seen, like the whole ghost story tone kind of shifts a little bit. But what I would love to, there's the scene where we see her crying in the room and she, Bill comes and knocks on the door and she's crying and she kind of hugs him. And she says, um, I've done it all wrong. I've, I've spoiled everything. I, or I, I didn't do a good job. 
and then he actually let me let me get the exact wording as I wrote it down. I don't want to mess it up. Um, let me pull it really quick. Uh, she says, "I just I didn't get it right," and I think that line in particular is it holds a greater resonance. Like she's talking about you know this birthday celebration she was trying to have. She's talking about um, a specific time, but really she's also talking about her entire relationship with her mother. Like she's feeling mm-hmm. like I didn't get it right. And then Bill says, you did everything right. You really did. And, and just like that, that's like a sort of a moment of closure, I guess, where, and then he says, now get some rest, which I think is also the the key thing. And I'll see you in the morning where it's like, you have to, on some, at some point you have to forgive yourself for the shortcomings you perceive of yourself and your own memories too. And I think that's, the cinematic version of that. And then the next morning we see, then we see some of her memories, which again are kind of spoilery, I guess as well, which we can avoid. Um, But then she's sort of, uh, I think she's laying in bed, having these memories that kind of flashes of that. And then she opens her eyes and then the, the ghostly sort of moaning sounds that we've been hearing, they stop and that stops. And then we see there's like some eerie red light outside and that, fades and it turns to morning and the fog is lifted the fog is lifted we we hear the sound of birds all we've really heard is like creepy music and like ghostly sounds and so then we hear the sound of birds and it's i think what you said earlier moving on like that's what this is showing us is um that if through the act of making this film or and she finally has her writer's block is gone we finally see her getting some work done um and then also some other things about the film shift that okay i'm, I'm going to go back and do a spoiler warning because i just want to say everything <laughs> i want to say and talk about it yeah. um, but um the the front desk worker who's been the worst customer service in the world the entire like hilariously bad is suddenly very kind to her there's a ton of other patrons in the hotel like she's not alone anymore like all of those those feelings of isolation all of that suddenly shifts and that takes on a whole new meaning because we realized, okay, this was so much of this was her headspace and her memories. And um, yeah, it, it just, and then it ends with the exit for driving away in, in the daylight, which is the opposite of driving into this dark space at the beginning of the film. Right. So yeah, I love all of that. But yeah, did yeah. you have any other comments about the ending? And let's just spoil it. Say whatever you want. <laughs> it, yes. Um, I think, I think, no, I think you got it down already, but I wanted to point out like, a detail um mm-hmm. which is uh, it turns out it's christmas that's right yeah, yeah. we find that out on the birthday night right e- oh, or somewhere it- around there or, yeah because at the end i like i didn't really notice on the birthday but at the end the, right. the receptionist say merry christmas that's right and I'm, I was just like, oh, my God, this is so incredibly sad. That makes it so sad. Because <laughs> um, I I mean, you know, it's like it's like mm, when you've lost like a, a, a parent or like when you've lost like, you, you know, your loved ones, like holidays aren't the same. Yeah. And um, and and just like for, for some reason, just like seeing other people. Mm-hmm. And then just like seeing her now, just like leaving the hotel like by herself, and 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 even this receptionist being so nice to her, mm-hmm. everything just makes it a lot sadder yeah. than otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just like a brilliant like 
like time to set the story in. Yeah. Yeah. And just like with the souvenir films, like we, especially the second one, the, the nature of reality is questioned a little bit. Like we realize this reality she's been living in as at least in some level, a construct of her mind, like the rude receptionist and, and all the stress and all the, that she a, a few times uses the word feeling unsettled. It's like how she's been feeling as they on the trip, but yeah, fantastic ending that I loved even more the second time. I think the first time I, I picked up on kind of the vague, vaguely picked up on all of that, but the second time I was able to really kind of take my time. The first time I watched it, I was also like, watching like three movies a day because I was trying to finish stuff by the end of the year. And so I <laughs> didn't have the brain space to like give everything as much as I wanted. Um, so I'm so glad I took the time to, to dive back into this one. But yes, yeah. Eternal Daughter. So good. Yeah, go ahead. Absolutely. I, I think I think one of the things about Joanna Hawke's film is like once you know how to watch her films, they get mm-hmm. better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I so I saw my uh, the Eternal Daughter for the first time with my friend who actually like did not enjoy it as much as I did, hmm. and then we watched a souvenir part one and part two. We did double features together, and after watching those, she said to me, "She was like, I like Eternal Daughter more now." Mm-hmm. Weirdly, yeah. you know, and um, and I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. It's not. It's it's challenging. It's a little bit challenging for the audience, and I I think that's fun. Yeah, completely agree. That is the Eternal Daughter, such a wonderful film. So glad that I was able to talk with you about it today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, any final thoughts you want to leave us with about your work or Joanna Hogg's work or anything like that? Um, I heard that uh, maybe this is not the end of the Julia Hart universe yeah. i don't know if that's true uh but whatever she's doing next i am here and i'm so excited for it um and thank you so much for having me on um art house garage and it's been a fun time talking about this movie and um thank you for watching my movie as well uh yeah, for awesome. uh for art house garage audience it's gonna be at slam dance and it will be available virtually on slam dance channel from the 23rd to the 29th of january yes and i will link to everything i can as far as you know how to get to that because i do hope some people will will seek it out absolutely worth your time and this has been such a great conversation if the julie hart cinematic universe does continue you have to come back on the show to talk about the next one with us. So Absolutely. you are, you have dibs on that. Uh, well, thank, thank you. you again so much. Yeah. And, and I guess we can say bye-bye for now and, and uh, definitely we'll have to have you back on the show in the future. All right. Thank you so much. I cannot say thank you enough to Ling for coming on the show. I hope she comes back soon. And stay tuned to your podcast feed. In the next few weeks, we're going to finish up our Terrence Malick series with a look at his film, A Hidden Life. The wonderful Bethany Worden is back again for that. And then after that, I'm planning a show about the film Women Talking and another one about Steven Spielberg's latest, The Fablemans. And with that, thank you so much for listening to Art House Garage. We have a few years worth of episodes. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Art House Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage. We'll find a link 
in the show notes. You can also buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Art House Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, where you can email me directly, Andrew at arthousegarage.com and of course follow on social media you can find us on facebook twitter instagram and letterboxd just search at arthouse garage in all those places or find links in the show notes that will do it for this episode thank you again so much for listening and until next time keep it snob free